to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talking, he's writing, he's just got done. I know that I've said this many times, but I will say it again. Paul has just, in the first three chapters, uh, Paul has been laying out much doctrine. He's laid out a lot of doctrine. He's laid out who we are in Christ, who we used to be outside of Christ. If you're a Christian, he's saying, here's who you are now because of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, this is who you are. This is a benefit that you have. This is what has happened to your life, and this is who you are because you are in Christ. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You have been guaranteed to be going to heaven, you know. And But in chapter 2, he says, but you used to not be a Christian, right? When you were born into this world, you weren't just automatically, hey, I'm a Christian because I'm born here in the U.S., you know. Some people will look at, at uh, you ask them, you know, are you a Christian? Well, of course I'm a Christian. Well, what made, how come you call yourself a Christian? Well, I was born in the United States and we're a Christian nation, so I'm a Christian. No, that's not, that's not the criteria for being a Christian. The criteria for being a Christian is recognizing that you're a sinner. Recognizing that Jesus was not. Jesus was God in human flesh that came and lived among us and died upon a Roman cross. And he took your sin upon him. An innocent lamb, John the Baptist, didn't he say that right in John chapter 1? He says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world as he pointed to Jesus as he was walking along the shoreline. Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was that perfect sacrifice for you and I. And so we place our sin upon, or he placed, not we don't, he placed our sin upon his shoulders. And when he died on a cross, he died not for himself, he died for you. It was a substitutionary death. It was a substitutionary sacrifice. His sacrifice was for you. It was for me. And he was buried. And three days later, he defeated death unlike anybody could ever do. He defeated Satan. He defeated the foes. He defeated death. And so here's the thing. I believe in that. I believe that God became a man and his name was Jesus. And he lived among us. And he died on a cross. And he died for me. And when he rose again, he rose for me. It's one of the reasons why I was baptized, why you were baptized. The idea of going into the water, making a public confession that you are a Christian is a picture of the old life and the new life. I, walking into the water, I'm walking into the world, or I'm walking into the water as me, as my old sinful self. And I'm walking into the water and I profess my relationship with Jesus Christ. My relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And as I do, and I profess that, I am buried down into a watery grave like Jesus was buried into the ground. And then I come back up out of the water identifying with His death and His resurrection. And when I walk out of the water, I'm walking out a new man. Bible tells us, we're going to look at this verse here later on, but if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. 
or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so when you walk out of the water, you're walking out as a Christian. And so Paul's saying, before you were a Christian, before you recognize that, you used to be owned by none other than Satan himself. You were going to go to hell. But God, who is rich in mercy, chapter 2, verse 4, right? God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved you, and why he and, and his great love in which he loved me, he gave his son, Jesus, right? And so here's the thing. In the first three chapters, Paul lays out, this is who you are today in Christ. This is who you used to be. This is who you are today. And so the first three chapters, he doctrinally lays out who we are, our standing before God, before we were a Christian, and today as we are Christians. And now, as we understand that, as Paul writes, now that you understand who you are and your right standing with God because you're a Christian, he then jumps into the practical, not the doctrinal, but the practical aspect of what do we do with this knowledge? Right, And so he comes in in chapter 4, in verse 1. He says, I therefore, Paul says, the prisoner of the Lord. Remember, Paul's writing this from prison. He's saying, I'm in prison because of my relationship with Christ. They put me in prison. And so I'm not in prison because of anything that I've done that's bad. I'm in prison because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. They put me in prison because of my relationship with Christ. And so I'm actually not a prisoner of Rome. I'm actually a prisoner of the Lord. Because God is here. He knows where I'm at. Reminds me of this story many, many years ago. I think it was David Brainerd. No, it was, it was, it was Paul, uh, John Bunyan. I think it was John Bunyan. I don't remember who it was. It was either David Brainerd or John Bunyan was in, uh, uh, you know, in some back African country. And some guy shows up and he goes, Oh, here you are. God sent me like three years ago to find you and I have finally found you. And he says, that wasn't God that sent you. And he said, well, why would you say such a thing? He says, because God always knew where I was. <laughs> you know. And so here's the thing. If God knew and sent you, you would have been here, I mean, as long as it took to go from where you were to where I'm at. Not three years. And so the point is, listen, I am a prisoner of the Lord, Paul says. I therefore a prisoner of the Lord. Knowing who you were, knowing who you are, I beseech you, I beg you, I exhort you to have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all, and or in, in you all, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, quoting Psalms, When he ascended on high, he, speaking of Jesus, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Paul then back into his narrative, he says, Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one, Jesus, who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying 
of the body of Christ until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man or woman to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. But, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, which is Christ, from whom the whole body, remember, He just said Christ is the head, we are the body from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, Paul writes, he says that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardening of their heart who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to licentiousness, to work all uncleanness and greet with greediness. But you have not so learned in Christ. Or I'm sorry, I want to rephrase that. But you have not so learned Christ. Not in Christ. You have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you and that you put on. So you put off concerning your former conduct, verse 24, and you put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, each one speak truth was his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry. But don't sin in your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. Remember we talked about that in the opening. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ also forgave you. Father, we lift up this passage to you. God, do with it as you will. Speak to our hearts. By the power of your Holy Spirit. God, use me. Get me out of the way that you would be seen. Lord, if there's anything that in my mind or in my heart that is not of you, God, erase it from my memory. That it might not flow through these lips. Because God, we're not here to hear a guy. We're not here to hear a man. We're here to draw closer to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just anoint this room and allow us to hear your word. God, allow your word to change us. And God, if we're holding on to things in our life, if we're holding on to attitudes and temperaments, God, if we're holding on to sin and transgressions, if we're holding on to things in our life that, God, we know that are just not becoming the man or the woman that you've called us to be, then God, help us today to release them to you. They might be hard. If we have fears, God, if we have 
as we talked about in in the, as we prayed today, that if we have depression, if we're anxious, if we struggle with anxiety and being distressed, God, may we lay it at your footstool right now and and walk away from it, God, and and allow you to own it, allow you to take it. We just pray, God, that you would change us today. Help us, Lord, to walk out of this building knowing you a little bit better, walking a little bit more straight in the path that you've called us to walk on. God, forgive us the the windy path that brought us to this place. But Lord, may our feet walk the straight and narrow as we walk out of this place today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. You may be seated. All right. Paul said that, and I'm just going to very quickly kind of recap just a little bit of what I had talked about last week because I very quickly hurried through the last few verses. It says in verse 11 that God, uh, that Jesus, the Lord, gave himself, he himself gave some people to be apostles. He gave some to be prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And, and, and so... Sometimes we look at that, and this is going to kind of set us up for the rest of our passage today. Um, he says, listen, God has established that there are apostles, there's some prophets, there's evangelists out there, there's pastors and there's teachers out there. Oftentimes there's pastors that are just pastors. There are some pastors that are not necessarily teachers. They're not maybe necessarily gifted as a teacher. Maybe you've experienced that before. You've seen a pastor who, who in teaching, he's not, that's not really a strong suit. But when he is one-on-one with an individual or with a family or with a, with a group of people, he doesn't have notes and prepared notes in front of him. He just exudes this unbelievable, gentle, Christ-like spirit and a ministry as he ministers to the people, ministers to you. He might not be a teacher, but he's a pastor. He's a pastor. Now, there are some pastors that are teachers. And, and you know that as you sit under him, you go, wow, that was, that was really neat. You know, how he kind of detailed this and how he dug this out and gave me a nugget here, gave me a nugget there, and what have you. And I'm walking out of here grown. I'm more mature today. And, and I'm closer to Jesus today because of the lessons that I learned, whether it be from a pulpit or whether it be in a home group, whether it be just out on the street. He gave these people to be pastors, teachers, and evangelists, and prophets, and elders. Now, I don't believe that there are the, the, the prophets that we see in Scripture, maybe, that in the, the truest form of prophet, prophecy. I don't believe that there are apostles out there today in the form that I, I believe that it's saying here. Now, if we look at apostles and what it means, it's one who's, who is sent, you know, one who's a sent. I mean, he's, he's a messenger of God. Well, there's a lot of apostles if you take it in that, you know, definition, under that definition. But the definition I believe that, that Paul is referencing here are those that were basically handpicked by God through Christ and, and those that were alive when he was walking around that visually saw him and actually had an interaction with him. And some might look at that and go, well, Paul, he wasn't an, I mean, he called himself an apostle. 
I mean, he wasn't one of the disciples. Well, there's a few different occasions where Paul saw Jesus, right? You remember? The road to Damascus, remember? He got knocked off his high horse on his way up there to kill a bunch of Christians and put a bunch of Christians in jail. When he was still the the, the Pharisee above all Pharisees, uh, the Sanhedrin, you know, he's a part of the Sanhedrin council. Seventy men. The 71st being the, the chief priest. And so Paul was amongst the upper echelon of the Jewish sect. And yet he calls himself an apostle because he, he saw Christ. But be that as it may, listen. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastors, teachers. Why did he do that? Well, Paul references it and lays it out in the very next passage or in the very next verses that we see here. He did this. He appointed these men for the equipping of the saints. Now, sometimes we just, we stop there and we put a period after saints. Well, here's what your job is to do as a pastor or as a teacher. You're supposed to equip the saints. Okay, that's what you do. And and sadly, I think not just in the United States, but I think even in the world, we will struggle in the church with this mentality that says, here's the thing. This is a position of a pastor. He's the one that's supposed to teach us and he's the one that's supposed to go out and do all the work. I'm not saying our church. I'm not saying that. I'm not coming down on anybody. The point is that in the church as a whole, we sometimes look and, well, isn't that your, your job? We had a church split back in California back when I went to a Baptist church growing up. Because we had, our, our senior pastor had, uh, retired. He was, he'd got up there in age. He'd been there for many, many years. And they brought a new guy in. The new guy was just, he was awesome. I loved the guy's teaching. And I wasn't even walking with the Lord at the time. I, I still loved the guy's teaching. And so I kind of rely back on people who actually had a, a stronger walk with the Lord than me, you know, and I remember that I enjoyed talking with this man and I believe that this man had a, had a nice, awesome walk with the Lord from the people that I today even continue to respect in the Lord. And one of the things is, is that the board of the church came down on him because the people were coming to him because he was laying a lot of burden upon the congregation. He was saying, listen, now this church was 1,300 members. The church was coming together and saying, listen, he's asking us to go visit these sick people in the hospital. And, I mean, that's what we pay him for. And so there's a a portion of the board that came to him and said, listen, we hired you on to do all of this. And he said, listen, my one day that I'm here, that I, I, and, and they, they brought to his attention, listen, you have one day where you lock your door and, and, and you go behind your door. And you say you get on your knees and you pray and you're studying that day, but you know what? There is some day, there's a day where you could actually be better used in the hospital going visiting our sick. And he's saying, but when will I ever prepare to lead the congregation, to teach the congregation? Well, that's what we pay for you to do, and you need to figure it out. Well, the point came down to is that they wanted somebody that they could pay and just do all the work so that they could come and be spoon-fed and go home and feel good. Hey, I'm going to notch in my Bible. I went to church on this day, and I feel good. 
And I'm going to live however I want this week. I might not live a bad life, but I don't have to do anything because I've paid a pastor to do it. Well, the church split in half. A lot of families destroyed. Hard feelings, even to this day. Because some were, you know, forcing him. And they, he ended up saying, hey, I'll, I'll leave. I'll leave. I don't want to, I don't want to be the, 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 you know, the, 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 the medium of which this church has been around for so long is, is splitting. I'm going to go. He left, but the church still split. The guy still, you know, well, about eight or ten years ago was still leading an awesome church. And the thing is, sometimes we get this idea that that's what the pastor is supposed to do. But that's not what Paul's saying here. You see what Paul says here? Here's the thing. The, the apostles and the, and, the, and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and teachers, here's what you're to do. You're to equip the saints. What does that mean? It's to, it's, it's means to part, to impart knowledge. It's in, it's to impart God's word and the application of God's word. It's true exegesis of God's word that takes what the written word is, puts it basically, my old pastor Chuck used to say, Chuck Smith used to say, hey, here's the thing. Put the cookies on the bottom shelf to where all the kids can reach them. That's how you teach. Teach to where everybody can get to the food so that when they get the food, they can go out and they become healthy sheep. And when sheep become healthy, healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. And that's the idea. That's the idea that Paul's getting here. He's saying, listen, it's not, it doesn't, you know, uh, remove the responsibility of a pastor or teacher from doing other stuff outside of the church, but it's not his sole purpose of doing that out there. His job is to minister here to the congregation and to teach. He'll do his thing out there, but it's for the equipping of the saints. It's to impart knowledge and, and, and bring the congregation to a place of maturity to where when they walk out of this building, we become the lights. I, I, you know, I'm going to give you a, a, a quick precursor lesson. And so you, I'll, I'll let you, well, no, I'm not even going to do it. No, I will do it. I will do it. I heard something pretty disturbing this last week of 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 a uh, a statement of a Barna research. Kevin and I went to a this this group thing this week. The issue was: Have you heard two churchgoers, George Barna, a group? I can't remember how many. I don't have them on here. But have you heard of the Great Commission? Have you heard of the Great Commission? And if I were to put out index cards and ask you to fill out, have you heard of the Great Commission? That's it. That's the statement. Have you heard of the Great Commission? And and maybe put a quick blurb in what you understand the commission, the Great Commission to be. You know? Out of the pie chart, 6% said, I'm not sure. 17% said, yes, I've heard of the Great Commission, and it means, and they 
laid out what they understood the Great Commission to be. 25% said, yes, I've heard of the Great Commission, but I can't recall the exact meaning. 51% said, nope. Over half the pie said, I don't even know what the Great Commission is. Now, of churchgoers. Of churchgoers. And so here's the thing. Are we as pastors, teachers, doing our job? And it's convicting to me. And here's the thing. Do you know what the Great Commission is? What's the job of the church? What's the job of the church? Excuse me? Spreading the gospel. How do we spread the gospel? Someone. The learning? Telling. Living it. Going out. What did Jesus say? Go into all the world and what? Make disciples. See, I'm to- see. I'm going to give you these cards next week, and I'm going to go. Our church is like 99. <laughs> percent That's the job of the church. It's not the job of just the pastor. It's not just the job of the church or, or of, of the teacher or of the leaders in the church. It's the job of us. We are the church. Regardless of who, I'm only up here because I got a big mouth. That's the only reason I'm up here. God says he's got a big mouth. I'm going to make him a pastor. And and it doesn't make me better. It doesn't make me wiser. It doesn't make me anything. It just means that I'm just a part of you. And God gave me a big mouth. And hopefully what comes out of my mouth makes sense to where we can mature so that we can go out of this place and do the work of the ministry, that we can go and fulfill the great commission laid down by our leader, none other than King Jesus, right? So he gave some to be apostles, some to be uh, prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints. So to, to equip you, you get the picture of a backpack that has all of the tools necessary to go out and do the work to do this. Listen, for the work of the ministry, to equip the church to go out and do the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So it's not just reaching the unsaved, but it's also to edify even the body of Christ. It's even to go and and to minister to people in this fellowship that are Christians, that are hurting or that are in need or or what. But not just this fellowship. It could be any Christian out there. The body of Christ is not Calvary Chapel Christian Fellowship. We're just one infant little piece of a huge body. Right? It's not all about us. We're not going to be in heaven. Only us. There's going to be a lot of churches in heaven. It's not about us. It's about Christ and us doing that work for Him. And so Paul says, he gave these guys to be, to have the ability to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to become the perfect man or woman, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be, and here we go, so we should no longer be children 
tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. Let me stop here for just one quick second. The idea is, is that we become, we grow up in the faith, right? We mature. We don't just crack our Bibles on Sunday morning, but we crack them open on Monday morning also, right? That we live our life every day, not just Sunday, but every day as if it might be our last day on earth for Christ. We live every day that we're not just Christians on Sunday, we're Christians on Monday also. We're Christians every day of the week. We don't have a break. We don't have a a vacation We don't have, you know, uh, the wild oats period in our life, as I know some sects do. S-E-C-T-S. They they have the, hey, let them go out and sow their wild oats. Maybe they'll come back to the faith. we, We don't have that. That's not, that's not, we don't have that, that written out in scripture. That, that's not a, a permissive, you know, uh, criteria for being a Christian. Hey, as you're getting older, go on out and sow your, sow your wild oats and then come on back in. No, listen, when you're a Christian, you're a Christian. You're in. I remember, uh, we, we, uh, uh woman that was in Lynette's in my wedding, um, her son, uh, I had influence out at the Bible college in California when I was there many, many years ago. And uh, Alex was, he had tats all over him, you know. He had a, a wispy little pointy beard and little, you know, every time you see on cartoons and anything, that mustache, it's like really, I mean, that you go, oh, that's the evil guy. I mean, you see him immediately. Well, that was that was what he looked like. He had tats everywhere. He had, you know, a, a, a nose ring. Now, don't shake this hand, I guess. Uh, uh, a, a nose ring that had a had a chain that came from here and went down and attached to his ear. And he had piercings all over him and everything. And he looked rough. I, I, I say, I, I don't know if you any of you guys know who Anton LaVey is, but he could have been his kid. He looked just like him. Anton LaVey is the author of the Satanic Bible. He was rough. And his mom asked, can we get him into Calvary Chapel Bible College? Well, you have to fill out a form that talks about, you know, your walk with the Lord and everything. And so Alex called me and says, hey, what do I put down for, am I a Christian? (laughs) I I fed him the answers. I'm thinking, if there ever is a place for him to be, it's here at this college. And I talked to my director. He was my mentor. Larry Taylor, I said, Larry, listen, I helped this guy get into this college. I want to, I want to accept him into the college. He's going, are you kidding me? Yeah. He goes, okay. I mean, it's on you. I said, well, it actually isn't on me because I'm actually, uh, I'm actually leaving at the end of the semester. He's coming in the next semester. I'm gone. So it's, it's going to be your problem, but I think it would be good if he, if he came. And he came and he was mean. He was rough. He looked bad, but you know what? He got saved, and he grew, and he got in ministry. (laughs) And and there was a time where, in that transitional time, his first, you know, few weeks to a month, month and a half that he was there at the Bible college, he called his mom, Norma, and he said, Mama, I'm having a hard time, because he was still trying to live his old life. 
he'd, he'd sneak out of the Bible college and he'd go to the bars. And then he'd come back and he'd try to do his thing, you know. And the thing is, he goes, Mama, I, 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 there's something wrong. I can't be comfortable anywhere. When I, when I, when I, when I leave, I'm in, I'm in, in the bars. I know I'm not supposed to be there. I know I feel bad. And when I'm at school, I, I know where I was the night before and I shouldn't be here either. He goes, it's like the mafia. I know too much. I know too much. But but God worked on his heart and softened it and he came to know the Lord. That's an awesome picture. The idea is that he became a Christian and then he began to mature and he went and he did the work of the ministry. It's easy to get sucked into the deceptions of this world, right? I, I got to hurry. What happened with with Alex has happened to us, many of us, right? What's happened to Alex has happened to many of us. Verse um, 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And so what Paul does is that he lays out a contrast. Right? He says, okay, here's what a Christian is. He talked about that in the first three chapters. He's explained the practicality, how that lives out in the practical sense in the first portion of chapter four. This is what it looks like. Endeavoring to keep the spirit of the bond of peace. You, you are, you are here. You, you know, have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called as Christians, right? And then he, he pictures that and he goes, okay, so I've explained who this is, but now I'm contrasting it with the Gentiles. Now, when he's using the term Gentiles, he's using it in a worldly sense. He's not saying, okay, if you're, you know, in, in scripture, you know, they don't say, you know, uh, the Jews and the Gentiles and then Americans and then Europeans or anything like that. No, they don't do that. Here's what they do. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile, all right? You're a Jew or a Gentile, or you're a Christian, right? And, and, and the thing is, is what Paul is saying, here's the thing, the Gentiles, in the sense that he's using this, is the world. That's how the world walks. That's what the world does. That's what the world who doesn't have a relationship with Christ is. He says, so I'm, I'm saying, therefore, and I testify in the Lord... Christian, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. That's that's them. That's who you used to be. You don't have to do that anymore. The pressures are out there and they're great. The world is a very tempting place. It's a very powerful place. But God is more powerful still. We don't have to follow after the world. You see, I've read all the way through the book of Revelation. Maybe you have too. And you can identify with this also if you've done that. If you've read the book of Revelation, you already know the conclusion. We win. As Christians, we win, right? It 
There's victory. There's peace. There's heaven, man. We don't have to be sucked into what the world is using to deceive us. So don't walk as the rest of the Gentiles in the futility of their mind. That word futility literally means, and it's a kind of a long Greek word that isn't going to mean anything to you if I say it. It literally means vain, vanity, worthlessness, worthlessness. It, it, it carries the picture of to, to show the emptiness of the present in contrast with the living fulfillment of the future, the fullness of the future. There's the contrast, the futility. There's, there's no hope here. There's no hope in what the world is going to offer you. It might give you a season of pleasure, but the end thereof is death. The end thereof is destruction, right? The end there is, thereof is, when I say death and destruction, those things, you kind of might, you might look at that and go, well, that's so vague and that's so broad that I can't even really grasp that. Well, let's see if we can grasp this. It's separation from God for all eternity. That's not, that's the second death, gang. We'll die here on the earth. And for the Christian, this is the cool thing. You only die once. You get to live twice. I'm living now. I'll die on this earthly scene should the Lord not come back and take me home, take us home. Here's the thing. I'll die on the earthly scene but then I'll live again in heaven. If you're not a Christian, you live once and you die twice. I can't think of anything more horrible than to do than to die twice. I don't want to die once. But you live here once and then you die here physically. But then you die phys- or spiritually. The second death, that second death, that spiritual death is where you are separated from God for all eternity and there is no hope. Jesus talked about that, right? We talked about that last time I was here, which was, I think, two weeks ago. About Abraham and the rich man and and, and Lazarus. You remember? The rich man says, oh, send Lazarus over and just do. He can dip his finger in the water and touch it to my tongue for my soul is in torment in this place. In Hades. And Abraham says, listen, no, he can't do that. There's a great chasm between us and you. You had your choice. That's your choice. This was the choice of, of Lazarus. He's comforted and you are not. You remember what the, what the rich man said? He said, well, if you're not going to help me, at least do me a favor and send someone back. I've got brothers that are still on the upside of the earth. I've got brothers up there. I don't want them to endure what I'm enduring. Can you send somebody back and tell them about this place? That they don't want to come here? You know what he was asking for? He was asking for somebody to go and evangelize. He was asking for somebody to go and witness to his brothers. I've had to do many funerals of people who weren't saved. That I, I, I would... I would say that there's a good chance. I don't know what happened in their last moments of life. But I've had to do many funerals of people that, that if it were, if, if, if you were to just say yes or no, what did their life show? 
Did they, did, did they have a walk with the Lord? And, and, and as they're, you know, they have a, a casket, maybe an open casket here and they're, and they're not saved. I'll tell you right now as a pastor, that's one of the hardest funerals I have to do. It breaks my heart. My very first funeral was that kind of a funeral. And I wept. I cried in front of a packed room. Why? Because I saw that there was no hope. <laughs> this was the matriarch of a family and of a packed building. And I'm sitting here and they're all talking about the... Deb- I asked, hey, can you kind of give some idea? You know, Some people stand up and kind of tell me a little bit about her. Share with with the room and everybody else how she impacted your life and some of the things that they were saying it cannot be repeated in this room. And they'd laugh and they'd joke around and I cried. The family came up to me afterward and said, the, the emotion that you shared was just unbelievable. I, 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 You were so emotional. You cried for our mom and you didn't even know her. I'm thinking, no, I didn't cry for your mom. I cried for you guys. The point is, is that I said, listen, I I didn't know this this woman. But I will say this. I've been tasked with the opportunity. I've been tasked with the opportunity to speak on her behalf right now. And if she were in my shoes right now, this is what she would, she would say it more passionately, more fervently than I will ever say. And I, I laid out the gospel. You know why? Because I see in in Scripture, that's what happens after death. So here's the thing. That's the futility, the worthlessness of this world. It's going to get you nowhere but the second death, right? The the antithesis of this word futility. Sometimes when you look at a word and you go futility, uh, all right, it just doesn't, I don't have a, perfect grasp on that word of what the world is doing. Well, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. But sometimes, in order to find that, look at the antithesis. What's the antonym of that word? Well, that is usefulness, beneficence. It's goodness. It's of mutual benefit. What that means is that you're not selfish. You're there to minister to people. Verse 18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, having given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. And so their understanding is darkened. That word in the Greek, uh, uh, skotizo, which literally means to, to be deprived of life. Or, or of light, excuse me, to be deprived of light. That's what the, the world has to offer you. Uh, you know, there's uh, a, a member of our church who went through a, an incredibly difficult time many years ago. And he was an antagonist against the church and even against Christians. But when he went through this incredible difficult time in his life, he would go back to some friends that he had that weren't Christians, that he joined in to mock some of the Christians in the workplace. And and as he was talking with his buddies, they basically would say, hey, 
and they'd give their ability, you know, their, their quick worldly way of, of ridding himself of this situation that he was in and said, Hey, let's go get a beer. I'll get you a beer. That'll make it all better. And you know what? There comes a point where Budweiser isn't going to help. All that Budweiser does is it helps for that first few hours, but the next day you wake up and you don't feel good. And guess what? The problem is still there. It doesn't do anything. All it does is gives you a little moment of, of respite. It's the reason why there's so many people that are, that are, are, are hooked on and addicted to various forms of drugs or alcohol. It's because it gives them a moment, a season, a very small season of escape. The point is, is that you're gonna come down. And the problem is still gonna be there. You're still going to be lonely. You're still going to be depressed. You're still going to have that issue. But Jesus offers something greater than that. He offers something greater than that. And this fella, he was not sad. He tried what they did. He tried what his worldly buddies were were helping him and coaching him to do. And he'd go and he'd get buzzed with them and what have you. And he'd come home and he'd go, he'd wake up the next morning, he'd be crying. Because this problem never went away. And so he secretly went to one of his buddies, or one, one of the guys, that he had been secretly mocking, or not secretly, but he had been openly mocking at times. And he talked to this Christian that wasn't dissuade, still had a great relationship with many of the people that were you know, in that workplace. But he talked to him. And this guy said, what you need is you need, you need Jesus. And he sat there and he talked to him about Christ. Now, he didn't come to know the Lord immediately then. It took a few weeks, but he came to know the Lord. And the next thing you know, he began to grow. And as he began to grow, this problem was dealt with. And this problem was dealt with in no way that the world would ever have, you have, have it dealt with. But I will say to this day, it was one of the greatest results and greatest rectifications of a major problem all because he came to a place where he found Christ and in Christ there is hope in your hopelessness in Christ there is an answer for depression in in Christ there is an answer for loss in in Christ there's an answer there isn't one in Budweiser there isn't one in a bong load there isn't one in acid. There isn't one in heroin. It's not there. It's going to rob, steal, and destroy your life. That's exactly what Satan came to do. To rob, steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Jesus said. The thief comes not except to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus says, I've come that you might have life, and that more abundantly. I mean, isn't that what we want? Here's the thing. Christ, he comes. Their understanding is darkened. Their understanding is past feeling. They, they've come to this place where their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. They profess to be wise. The Bible says, I don't have time for you to look up all of these things. Romans chapter 1, verse 22 through 24. You can jot it down and look it up later. But Romans chapter 1, verse 22 through 24 talks about how professing to be wise, they become fools. And I would, I would make a little bit of a play on word. 
professors who claim to be wise have become fools in our colleges, in our universities, and in our classrooms. Because they cannot come to a place where they can bow their knee to Christ because that doesn't make any sense to me. And so we are going to show you our upper education, our higher education, and we're going to eliminate a need for God. Look where it's gotten us in our nation. Look where it's gotten us in the generation that's rising up right now. It's a scary place, gang. You remove God. Guess what? We can remove God all we want. He's not going anywhere. We're just doing it in our heads. Just because we say it's not there doesn't mean that he's not. Reminds me of the story. A guy that used to go to this church, a family used to go to this church, Chuck Goins was his name. He got into one of those things where he was getting older in life. He's going, I've got a bucket list. And one of the bucket list items that I have is that I want to, I want to ride a bull. And so he told me and my wife about it and we thought, ah, oh, okay. He says, hey, you guys want to come out and watch me ride a bull? Of course. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I think there's going to be some blood or something. I don't know. I'm thinking you are dumb, but I will watch you be dumb. And, and so we went to this, it was somewhere up here, just in somebody's, you know, farm. They kind of put these big, you know, uh, galvanized fences out there, and then they had this big, I mean, there were, there were some lights up there, but there were actually car lights that were kind of pointing in, and you're going, wow, this is kind of off the grid, but here it is. They have this, uh, this bull riding thing. Well, in the middle of it, they had a thing for the, for the people. Just for the crowd that's there. Hey, we're going to do a raffle off or we're going to have a, a contest for something. They had a little thing where they put a little calf in there with a little red ribbon on. I'm sorry, I might embarrass him a little bit, but there was a little red ribbon. Nathan was like three, maybe two, three. <laughs> okay. Somebody was a bully to him. That just bothered me. I wanted to beat up a five-year-old, but I didn't. See, I'm just like you, right? Here's the thing. Later on, after they did this with the kids, you know, um, uh, I won't do it because my son said not to. But there, there was one other competition that came in. And they went out there and, and the rodeo clown went out there and threw these hula hoops, like eight or ten hula hoops out in the middle of the big ring. They said, hey, we, have, we need ten volunteers. We've got nine hula hoops. We need ten, or we have ten, vol- no, I'm sorry, ten hula hoops. We need ten volunteers. And they put ten people out there and all these people, oh, do it, you know. <laughs> when you're an adult, you go, I'll do anything, you know. And it's okay, here. Okay, here's the game. You find a hula hoop. We're going to let loose a bull. The last person inside their hula hoop Gets a $23 card or something like that to Starbucks or something. I don't know. Whatever it is, you know, to, you know, a $25 gift card to horse and tackle or so. I don't know what it was, but, but these guys, okay, I'll do this, you know, and they went out there and they all stood in their, in their rings and they go, okay, we're going to let the bull go. And so they let this bull go. It was a young bull. Didn't have any horns. If just bull is a part of your name, it's me. It just doesn't like people. And this one didn't. And he, they opened up the gate and he kind of, you know, swandered out and he started looking around. He just, 
And he starts digging into the ground and these people are looking at him and he locked onto one of these people and he, vroom, 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 and started running at him and this guy, and he jumps out of that, jumps out of the thing and starts running. Well, he's gone. Nine. It got down to two people. One was a woman. And she was standing in her yellow hula hoop. And the bull was out there and he was just kind of off over somewhere. And he was kind of looking, kind of straddled between, kind of between both of them. She turned her back and she says, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. And the announcer says, oh, sweetie, you need to turn around and look at that bull. She goes, nope, nope, I'm not going to do it. No, sweetie, you need to turn around and look at that bull. Nope. And that bull, nope, nope, nope. And, and she, he locked onto this woman. He's going, no, sweetie, you got to turn around. You need to look. That bull's coming at you. And she's going, nope, nope, nope. I'm not going to do it. That bull got under her rear end and lifted her about six, eight feet off the ground. And it's just a little guy. But she tumbled and hit the ground real hard. The moral of this story, just because you don't want to believe it's there doesn't mean that it's not. You might say, oh, Jesus is never going to come back. God, this whole thing, religion is out of this. It's just stupid. You're standing in a hula hoop, turning your back on a bull. And, and the thing is, you're turning your back on God. And, and God, God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son. I'm going to end here, but he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And it's a gift. It's a free gift. And, and, and the point is, I and you and we have that gift available to us and we just have to open it. We can turn our back and say, well, he doesn't exist. He will. He does. And regardless of whether all the world, all the media, every college that's out there, all of maybe your friends, maybe even family, that says he's not real. This is his world. And you are his creation. And I am his creation. Just because the world may say he doesn't exist doesn't mean that he doesn't. In fact, all that it does is proves exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And many there are who go that way. But narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there are who go that way. And if you would, just get a picture of a funnel in your mind. A funnel, you know, big top, small end. I would say the big top is huge and wide, but that small end, it goes down to single file line. Single person can get through that thing. At first, when everybody is going through, hey, everybody's doing it. Every, this is, I'm going the way of the world. I'm going what, with the popular opinion of what everybody else says. I'm going and you feel a little freedom. Hey, we're all those crazy Christians over there. The thing is, is that pretty soon it's going to start getting cramped. And the next thing you know, you're going to get into a place where it goes down to a single file line and it will come down to this place where it's not that the world rejected him, it's that you rejected him. 
You will have to answer for your relationship with God. You will have to answer for your reason for rejecting his free gift of his son, the sacrifice of his son on a cross for you. So here's the thing. You might feel very free and open today, but Jesus says, wide is the gate that leads to destruction. That destructional, that dis- gate of destruction is a single file line. You're going to go through that gate. But you don't have to. And so he says, but narrow is the gate that leads to life. Now, turn that funnel around. You make a decision. You individually, you come to Christ based on your relationship. Not because everybody is, but because you have a relationship. You have acknowledged who he is. You have acknowledged that he died on a cross for you and he was buried and he rose again three days later for you. You... If you believe in him, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. You are the one. You're opening the door. And you walk through that single door. But here's the cool thing. You walk through that single door, and all of a sudden you'll find out it's narrow right there. But it's the opposite of the other funnel. Because as the further you walk with Christ, the more freedom you have. And it opens up. Do you have a relationship with Christ? If you don't, you need one. It's silly. It's not, it's not prudent to turn your back on God. That's what Paul, I'm going to, next time I teach, whenever it is, I'll finish the rest of this chapter. But here's the thing. I just want to leave you this. Do you have a relationship? What are you doing with it? Has God touched your life? Live for him. Live for him. It's the life. It's the life that he has afforded you to have. Touch somebody's life with the same Christ that has touched yours. That's that's it. It's not a confining life. It's a life of freedom. It's not a life of guilt. I remember when I wasn't walking with the Lord, when I didn't really have a walk with the Lord... My life, I'd go to sleep at night and I'd, I'd had, I had a, a guilty heart. I knew I had a guilty heart. I didn't have freedom. When I came to Christ, there was like a ton of weight that was off me. It was nice to be able to sleep in freedom. Well, it doesn't mean that I wasn't sinful. It doesn't mean that I didn't sin. It doesn't mean that I didn't blow it at times. But the, the difference is, is that I had an advocate. I had Jesus that I could run to and he was the one who forgave me. Now, I don't know why I went all the way down this road of, of laying out the evangelistic message of saying, you need Christ, but I did today. It could be that there's somebody in here that doesn't have a relationship with Christ, but it could also be that you've been walking with Christ for a long time and you forgot. You forgot. Gang, listen. If you belong to Christ, you're on the right team. I don't care what the world says. Though the world go before, go against you, if Christ is on your side, you and I have the world outnumbered. The world can't overcome Christ. The world cannot overcome God. I appeal to you. Do not leave this place without having a relationship with Christ. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you so much for today. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone in this room right now, I know that I'm out of time. I'm so far beyond my time limit. But, Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here that doesn't have a relationship with you, that, God, today, maybe it's made clear. 
Maybe there's somebody in here that has had a relationship with you and does have a relationship with you, but they forgot what it was all about. They forgot that just the, 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 the special relationship that they have with you. They forgot how free it was when they finally acknowledged who you were. They forgot that they, they laid their sin down and they walked away from their sin when you saved their souls. And there was a freedom. But over the years, they've lost sight of that and the burden has begun to become heavy again. God, let them shed this burden. Your word says, as we said it already, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. I pray, Lord, that there's not one person that walks out of this place today without understanding that we are all brand new in you if we have a relationship with you. And so God, if there's somebody in here that doesn't have a relationship with you or if there's somebody in here that has a relationship but I forgot, God, I pray that they just just pray in their heart, God, that they just go before you. And, And maybe they're saying, well, what do I have to do? Well, there's no magic in the words. God already knows your heart. But he says that if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father's in heaven. Point is here. Confess that Jesus is your Lord. Confess that you are a sinner. Confess that you've blown it. Confess that there is nothing in you that could make yourself good enough to be worthy of heaven. Confess that God saw my condition, saw your condition, saw our condition, and loved us so much that according to what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still in our sins, he sent Jesus to die for us. And so it's not in me. It's not in anything that I have done or can do, but it's in what Jesus you have done for me and God what you've offered to me through your son, Jesus. And so I'm gonna, I acknowledge that you died in my place. I acknowledge my sin. I'm gonna lay my life down before you and I give you my life. I give you my sin. I give you my troubles, my worries, my loneliness, my depression, my struggles. I give you my life, everything. I cannot have a relationship with you, God, apart from your gift of Jesus. And I acknowledge that today. And Lord, for those in here who have forgotten, God, They come before you, let them come before you and just acknowledge, God, I'm sorry, I forgot. Silly me, I forgot. But Lord, I remember. And today your forgiveness is just as, you're just as willing to forgive me today as you were the day that I came to you the very first time. Set me straight, Lord, set me right, set me true. Forgive me of my sin, Lord, forgive me. of how I've rejected you. I acknowledge you, Lord. I accept you into my life, my heart, my mind as my Lord and my Savior. From this day forward, I don't really know exactly how it's all going to play out, but God, I'm going to trust that you're going to show me. I just know that right now, right here, at this moment, God, I want to be right with you. God, help me to work it 
out and, and figure it out as we walk out of these, as I walk out of this building. God, show me. I'm going to trust that you're going to lead me and you're going to guide me. I accept you. I f- forgive me of my sin. Make me yours. I want to spend eternity with you. I'm sorry, Lord, for forgetting, but I remember today. Make me new. Lord, for the rest of us, we just thank you, God, for this. We offer up our lives to you. In Jesus' name, we do these things. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.